This will be the third week in a row I've been sharing here. I did not plan that first sermon two weeks ago because we lost power in, in Tulsa. And it was about 100 degrees in Tulsa. And so I'm not staying there <laughs> with, with no power and four kids. I was like, Natalie, how about I take the kids up to a farmhouse and you stay with your sister and work? <laughs> you know? And uh, so, so I got to preach. This will be the third one in a row. And I think the Lord has kind of brought them together in a way that where if you would to listen to them all, there has been a theme. Um, and, and one of the running, uh, let's just try and bring everybody up to speed. One of the running themes is perception. Everybody say perception. Perception determines your reality. Okay. And there's so many places in scripture where if you look at people of faith versus people of fear, see a giant to one person is their destruction. To another person, it's their opportunity. Yeah. To one person, a situation is death. And to another person, it's an opportunity for God to show up. Everybody say God. See, we're a people that are called to walk by faith, not by sight. And if, if you think it's a good idea to live your life with your own strength, you go ahead and try it for a while. I guarantee you, your strength is weakness. You'll figure it out eventually. Okay? Everyone. Let's all say everyone. Everyone needs a sustaining relationship with God. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much you can bench press. I don't care how far you can run. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how many degrees you have. I don't care if you're the president. You need a sustaining relationship with God. Absolutely, 100%. Everything else can fall apart, but you need to make sure that sticks. Okay. I use this analogy. If I'm driving down the road at 80 miles an hour, I do not take my eyes off. Okay. We're in South Dakota, so it's legal there. <laughs> Sorry. That's where I just came from. And I come back here and everybody's going 70. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> you do not keep your, you don't, if you look back, it's for a split second. Okay. And I use this analogy. We got we had a van full of people. Okay, I've got four kids. We had grandma. We had my mom. There's, at any given moment, there could be three or four situations going on in the back seat. <laughs> you all know what I'm talking about. Everybody know what I'm talking about. Okay, I don't care if no one eats. I don't care if the show doesn't work. I don't care if your switch doesn't play games. <laughs> I am not going to leave my post driving the wheel of that car and go back there and fix it would die, you know, and and your life, no matter what's going on, no matter who's telling you, you need to pay attention to this and you need to listen to this person, no matter how big somebody gets in your life, you better keep your eyes on Jesus. You better keep first things first. You better keep the order of priority correct because staying on the road is more important than eating the food. Yeah, coffee is above food. Okay, (laughs) but but still keeping your eye on the road is more important than your coffee. If you spill hot coffee in your lap, you don't let go of the wheel. You just don't. You keep your hands on the wheel. Amen. Everybody with me. It's more important to maintain a relationship with God than your net than your daily food. Okay. There's two forces at work in your life and they need to marry together. One of them is the grace of God. Everybody say the grace of God. See, the grace of God is God's strength for you, through you, to you all the time. I don't care if people don't believe in God. They're operating by the grace of God right now. (laughs) Could you imagine a group of people getting upset and fighting about the air they breathe? Say. Don't be shoving that down my throat. (laughs) I don't need your air. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You know, my grandma couldn't take care of herself. She she had a stroke. We had to we had to feed her ourselves. She needed the food. She needed the food. And you need a sustaining relationship with God. Period. I don't care what you think about me. I'll, <laughs> I will shove 
my blessed religion down your throat because you need Jesus. Ever say amen. <laughs> you know me, I'm not chubby. I'm not manipulative. I'm not argumentative, at least unless you know me real well, okay? <laughs> but I don't, I, you, you don't understand what you're saying when you say you don't need God. You absolutely do. Is it okay if we go on this tangent? Everybody with me? You need to breathe air, you need to eat food to survive, and you need Jesus. They all, in fact, in the priority of things, Scripture tells us, God first, more than the food you're eating. Amen. God first. That's part of what fasting is when you go on a fast. Man, God first. Everything else in my life can die. God first. It's a time of clarification. It's a time of putting things in order that get out of order. One of the things that we set in order before we got married, Natalie and I, there was a season where God both asked us independently Me or them. And I didn't know God was asking her that. And I didn't. And she didn't know that God was asking me that. And I felt like I was dying inside because I had at that moment, Natalie and God were about like this. (laughs) And God was saying, look, you want to do this right? Me or them? Because it's more important to keep your eyes on the road than it is to make sure everything's solved in your life. Because if you keep first things first, everything will follow in succession. If you've got a gas fire, get rid of the gas. Don't try and put out the fire. Everybody with me? And so when, when we were going through that in our dating years, I felt like God was asking me to break up with her. That's what I felt like. But what he was asking for was priority. And when Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have first things first. You're not going to love your family more than me. You're not going to love your own life more than me. You're going to pick up your cross and follow me. And what that is, is it's a it's an um, it's an understanding that you are going to die to yourself in order to be resurrected in newness of life. That the, the life that you aspire to have that's selfish, that's flesh-oriented, that's, that's only my desires, and, and really the relationships that are in your life. I love the relationships in my life because they love me, because it serves me. But if anybody offends me, well, then I'm going to cut them off because they're not making me happy. Everybody with me? And we think, well, they hurt me. Well, you, they hurt the love they had for you. And so you don't want to love them anymore because they don't love you. And that's not how Jesus loved people. So we're going to get first things first. If you really want to love your spouse, love God more. You really want to love your kids. Don't let your relationship with God slip. We don't say, well, I got to to have family time. You you do need to have family time. And you're using it as an excuse for why you're not praying. (laughs) Hallelujah. Everybody okay? (laughs) Everybody okay? First things first. Because you get that order of events right. Everything's going to fall in place. And everything flows out of that order. Everything flows out of that. And, And through our life, things pop up and try to test our allegiance, test our... You know, you don't just die once, you die daily. Amen. When I was young, I used to think I need to get all that dying to the flesh out of the way so I can live for God. I don't know that you can control that. I don't know that you can just say, "Okay, I'm going to take this year and I'm going to die to my flesh and I'm going to be fine the rest of life. Only God knows that. (laughs) Because there's going to be times in your life where you're going to think, man, I've been so selfless. I did this. I did this. Look how I was selfless in this. I didn't choose my own path. I didn't choose my own career. I didn't exalt myself. I didn't step over somebody. I didn't cheat somebody out of this inheritance. I didn't cuss at this person. And you're going to think you're so selfless until you hit another season of life where you just go, oh my gosh. (laughs) And that's called growth. Everybody say growth. (laughs) 
Because God is the one that knows when to kick you out of nests and when to keep you in one. He's the one that knows to take you out of the kiddie pool and bring you out into the adult pool. And then till the adult pool becomes the new kiddie pool. And then you realize, okay, I'm still growing. Everybody say growing. And this is the, the first force in your life is God's grace. You could not save yourself. You could not pay the price for your sin. You can't redeem your own self. A slave cannot make another slave free. Somebody with freedom has to come and make you free. Somebody's got to pay that price. And there's nobody in the human spectrum that was ever born free except him. Free from sin from the beginning. Because he wasn't born of man who has fallen. He was born from above from God. Not by man, but by God. And he turned around and took the freedom that he had and he didn't serve himself with it. But at the age of 30, when he was called into ministry, the very first thing we see him do is he gets baptized. If I say baptized, I fully believe right then and there he took his heart, put it on the altar and says, I will die. He wasn't working up to it. He was like when he got baptized, I really believe he knew he was going to die right then. He knew it. Everybody say no. Because when you get baptized, what is baptized a symbol of? It's a symbol of they're putting you in a mock grave. You're, you're dying. And when you get pulled back up, you're not the same person. And when he got baptized at the age of 30, I, he, he knew there was only one destination. I fully believe God who looks on the heart and not the outward appearance, looked at his situation, looked at his heart in that moment of time when he went down under that water and said, he means business. He's going to do this. And see, God knows when he looks at our hearts, when we're ready to do things. Amen. When we're ready to lay our life down and when there's still some part of us that maybe isn't quite ready. <laughs> and there's a counting of the cost. That each and every one of us, that's our relationship with God is counting the cost. And when he asks you to do a thing, everybody has a choice. Do you know that? God will never rob you of your choice. I do believe he won't give you choices that are above your place. <laughs> I would never ask my kids to make some decisions because I know where they're at. Okay. But when he gives you a challenge when he asks you to obey, you have a choice. And I can look back at different moments of my life where he gave me a challenge and he says, it's time to make a choice. And that choice requires the second force. Everybody with me, the second force in your life that needs to marry to the grace of God. And that force is your will. Everybody say my will. Your will. And it is your personal decision. Am I going to follow God in this process? Agree with him and let him be my teacher, my tutor, my molder, my maker. Bringing me out of who I was into who he's called me to be. Because you may be called to be a preacher. You may be called to be the next Billy Graham for all I know. But if you never take that first step and step in front of that mic when some... When, when Pastor, I can't say Pastor Bird, Pastor Mom, <laughs> when Pastor Mom comes and says, hey, would you like to come do the announcements? Oh, no, not me. I can't speak in front of people. Okay. But you know in your heart, oh, I've got a word I'm supposed to preach, but I'm not going to, I'm only going to do it. I'm only going to do it when I, when I feel like I, I, I can. You're never going to do it. I'm only going to do it when God overwhelms me. I'm only going to do it when I'm 100% confident. That's not going to happen. There has to be, if you've received, let me simplify things for you. Most of the time, if God has given you a word, it's so that you understand. Right? If he's told you you're going to be a writer, it doesn't take any great genius to start practice your writing. <laughs> if he's told you you're going to speak, 
doesn't take any great genius to know if somebody asks you to come speak, you probably should say yes. Yeah? Everybody with me? If he's told you you're going to start XYZ business and you don't know a thing about finance, it doesn't take any great genius to pick up a book. Yeah? Everybody hear me? So the grace of God comes to change who you are, but your will is to be married to that grace, to that word that's supposed to bring life, that's supposed to call things that be not as though they already were, to bring you out of who you are. (laughs) How do we say that? To bring you out of who you are at present into who you're supposed to be in the future. Because you, God forbid, we die with a bunch of potential. God forbid we die with just the words. I don't want to go to my grave with a bunch of words over my life. Yeah. Everybody with me? I'm not, I'm not sobering people up too much, am I? <laughs> I'm so serious sometimes. I, I'm, I don't want to be. I'm just, I, I get burned up inside. And it's me too. I'm preaching at me. I'm preaching at you. Okay. His, his words to you are more than food. They're the essential of what you are. They're, they're who he's asking you to be. And just because you've got a long list of promises from God don't mean squat if you don't obey him. Yeah? There is differences. There's different kinds of words that God has for, in his scripture to people. And I had somebody break this down for me and I won't do as good a job, but I'm going to try. Okay. There's some words in scripture have that you can't change at all. You know, Jesus is coming back whenever God tells him to. You going to change it? (laughs) No. There's things that are set in stone that are God's timing. And Jesus said, it's not for you to know. That's what he said. So you just deal with it. It's not for you to know. It's not for you to change. Okay. And you can't change those words. There's classified, there's classification of the words of God that are prophecy that cannot be changed. They're in God's hands. But the words, most of the times that we receive as a gift from the Holy Spirit, or in times, you know, when somebody's giving you a word, or if you're just in prayer time, having fellowship with God, and he speaks something to your heart. Some of the things that, Other people have told me I'm supposed to do. I knew long before they told me. I'm grateful for their confirmation. But the idea is not that they originate from the outside in. But from the inside out. Because of your relationship with God. He's been telling you. This is is the picture of who you are. This is the ministry I have for you. There's unlovables that I'm calling you to reach. And it becomes your heart's desire to want to do this. And then somebody comes along and says. Man, God's got a call on you for X, Y, Z. And it just blesses you so much, not because it was news to you, hopefully, (laughs) but because it was like, I've had that in me and I haven't told anybody. Yeah. Anybody experienced that where they've had stuff in their heart that God has because you've been praying with him, talking to him, you know, shooting the breeze with him. We go fishing and I'll be praying. Okay, that's not the only time I pray, by the way. (laughs) Oh, man, I was in Louisiana, which is um, that's where my wife's from. And they're huge sports people, sports in every way. OK, but like sportsmen, hunters, fishers. Yeah. And I don't know how many people I offended, but I just said, I said, I hate <laughs> I hate the phrase. I'd rather be out on the water talking to God than being in church. Thinking I was trying or trying to be fishing. Anybody ever heard that? I'd rather be fishing, thinking about God than being in church, thinking about fish. I hate that phrase. I hate it. Everybody hear me? Because it's an excuse. You can do both. You know, you can be part of the body of Christ. You can have a relationship with God that is more important than your fishing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Stupid. I, I'm sorry. If you've ever said that, you can forgive me. I'm, and I forgive you for saying that. Okay. Because <laughs> your priorities are wrong. What you, what you really mean is that you love God and you only love him through the way you, you do things. 
You love your fish. I love fishing too, okay? But but we are not just called to sit here and catch fish and throw them back. That's not that's not the grand master plan. <laughs> I made you to fish. Throw them back now. <laughs> catch them again. That's not that's not it, okay? I got off the train. <laughs> Anyway, I knew if I got off on that. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Praise you, Jesus. Let's turn to Scripture. You can be turning to... No, not that one. Let's go to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. It's kind of become my standard to, at least the first part of the year, I try to, to read the Bible through first half of the year and then the second half of the year I spot locate on different books Um, but you can't read through scripture from from cover to cover from beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation and not see how God he didn't just do things you know like sometimes as a parent my my initial reaction is to swoop in fix everything and leave (laughs) like look at this mess you know all right, now it's fine. All right, glad you all learned something. <laughs> he uses people. And through using people, he grows them into somebody else. Yeah? He'll take somebody like Moses. He'll take somebody like Gideon. He'll take somebody like David. Who the world may judge as nobody's outcasts. And who they may themselves judge as nobodies. Like if you read the story about Gideon, Gideon, his self-perception was, I am the least in my family. I'm the least. My family is the least of our tribe. Our tribe is the weakest in Israel. Are you sure you got the right guy? (laughs) And you take somebody like that, and by the end of the process... They want to make him king. I mean, after all of the victories and everything, he was so lifted up and exalted in Israel's eyes because of his obedience to God, because his will married God's grace. He was so lifted up. They says, you rule over us and all of your sons hereafter. Because he was willing to obey God, send thousands of people back instead of using them. Took 300 guys with with torches and horns and beat a horde of people without number. That guy went from uh, no one in his own estimation to being a leader of men, to being a hypothetical king, and he wouldn't take it. He says, you're not, you're not making me king, right? God does that, and he wants to do that with every single person who chooses to marry their will with his grace and see something that most people don't get to see. The question is not what can you do in your strength? It's what can you do when you marry your will to God's strength? The question is not what you can do for the gospel. The question is, are you going to partner with God for the mission, the calling that he has for you? And each and every person here, God has somebody he's calling you out to be. He's calling you into someone who you would aspire to be. If you could look like if you could look forward and if your past person could look back, you'd say, I want to be that guy. And you would look back and say, I can't believe I used to think like this. Everybody with me. And he wants to do that for every single person. I can still remember being at MCC. First year out of high school. Absolutely hating public speaking. Just you. You, I wouldn't look at people. I wouldn't smile. I would just deliver the information and I'd walk off. 
that's not who I am anymore. And there's stuff that he's asking me to do that's scary. And, and, and this is the thing. Sometimes you get thrown into a situation that demands you adapt. Yeah? Sometimes, like this is what happens when people go to war. Like they just demanded to adapt right on the spot. You, your bridges are burned. Where are you going to go? You've got you to gotta change. And then there's times God may do that to you, but God, a lot of times what he'll ask you to do of your own free will, he'll say, obey me. And it's completely in here. Nobody else will know what's going on. It's in here. If you don't do anything, no one's, no one's going to accuse you of treason. The world isn't going to fall apart. There's no external pressure. It's an internal. I'm here. Obey me. Everybody know what I'm talking about. There's things that he's asking us to obey in our heart. And if we would, and I think sometimes we would rather, we would rather an external pressure come in. We, we, we hire coaches for everything in this culture. We hire financial coaches. We hire fitness coaches because we need external accountability. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what I want you to walk away with is that you know that you have the Holy Spirit as a coach in your heart all the time telling you, what if I challenge you to do this? And what if it's only him that's challenging you to do this? I'm lucky I'm married to, to, a, to a wife that's giving voice to the Holy Spirit because then she'll challenge me to do this. And she'll, but, but in the end, there's things that he's asking you to do to grow that if you don't count the cost and take steps, that word will go to heaven with you. <laughs> Does that make sense? And it may never bear fruit, but it's his word married to your will that will bear fruit in your life. Hallelujah. And I want to take the words that he's given me and I want to, I want to be a good steward of them and I want to put them into practice. Okay. So we talked about perception. We talked about counting the costs. Now we're talking about our calling. Because if you're spending time with God, he's going to start to outline a purpose. Everybody say purpose. Man, purpose is a powerful word when it's in the right context. It's not a purpose that drives you in the sense that if I don't do this, I'm no one. I'm proven who I am to God. I'm, I'm not a son or a daughter unless I fulfill this. It's not that kind of purpose. It's a purpose that brings Life to you that you're ready to give your life for it. It's part of the end goal of carrying your cross. As you're serving the purpose that he has given you. And in prayer, there's going to be times of prayer and fasting where God continues. I've never had him. There have been seasons where I've been fasting. And he will like give me little prompts, little pictures of stuff. And I'll have moments of clarity where I realize that's part of my purpose. But I have to, I mean, I also will admit that every time I'd sit here on this floor at at six o'clock in the morning or seven o'clock in the morning, come here and pray, I would be praying and he would be painting this picture. I can remember being in my dorm praying in college in in Tulsa and he'd be painting and I'd see myself preaching in a way that I'd even now I'm going to tell you, I'd see myself preaching I'm not telling you all this to talk myself up. I'm telling you all this to let the Holy Spirit talk up the dreams that God has given you. I would see myself preaching in such a way when I was 18 years old that I thought, that's not me. And I I would be hearing this in my heart. And I I still have not fully done what I've seen. I'm a lot closer. (laughs) But he's calling you out of who you were into who you're supposed to be. Yeah. And that requires diligence. Everybody say diligence. That requires obedience. Everybody say obedience. That means taking steps, steps of faith, missteps, mistakes. But if God gives you a painted picture of this is your general calling, he's pointing you in a direction with your own will. Venture course and start to go that way. Because the Holy Spirit will arrest your heart if you're making a mistake. 
And sometimes us perfectionists, we're so afraid of making mistakes, we're just going to sit there and pray all the time and see if God's going to do something. He's told you what he's called you to do. Go ahead and open up your sail a little bit, test out the rudder, and go try some things within that general direction. Yeah? When I got called to pastor here, I, I quickly realized I could not expect God to tell me to do everything. <laughs> because... He called me to pastor here. I don't need to pray about what to upgrade. If I need to upgrade something, if I need to do something, if I need to switch gears, if, if there's something that's happening in the church, it's part of the purview of the calling that God has given you. Yeah. So we, we sometimes we get micro, you know, don't, I'm going to pray about that. Are you called to pastor? Well, didn't, didn't make the decision. And if he gives you, there's been times where I've gotten a red light. Where I felt pressured and I wanted to do something and I'd feel pressure and I got, I got a, I can't, I got a red light, I got to stop. But if you feel clear, if you feel peace, if you're being obedient to the best you know how and you end up making a mistake, do you know God's on your side still? <laughs> Amen. So God, you know, look, we look at Paul, Paul, when they went through praying and fasting and he separated out Paul for the work of the ministry to reach the Gentiles. That was his mission. Yeah. He wasn't called to the Jews. He was called to reach all the Gentiles. Now, he would set his face to go to this place and to this place and to this place. And we have one recorded instance where he was going to go to Asia, but the spirit told him no. So he's going to go somewhere else. And he says, the spirit told him no. And he says, I'm going to go to Macedonia. And he and and they had a vision and God told him where to go in that instance. Okay, but most of the time he knew that the general calling of his life was to the Gentiles. He didn't need a word from God to go into the next, uh, you know, what they didn't have churches back then. What were they called? Synagogues. Go to the next city and go to the synagogue or they would go to the place where the Greeks would debate all different kinds of ideas. And there was one place he'd go. All they would do is hear every new idea that was coming through. Let's hear about this resurrected guy from the dead, you know, and he'd go in there and he would preach because that was his calling. Everybody say calling. He didn't need a witness from God to go do that. He knew he was supposed to do that. Now, if he got a check about it, I'm sure he listened to God. Yeah. My point is this, is that if you start to form a picture of who God has called you to be, there's nothing wrong with taking steps of obedience. You're never going to take the reins fully out of God's hands. But what you're trying to do is apply what you know, obey what you've heard and do what he's asking you to do. Yeah. Let's look here at Philippians chapter three. Everybody still with me? All right. Verse one, finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. (laughs) He wasn't afraid to call things out. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, I was a Pharisee, as to the zeal, a persecutor of the church. In other words, he, man, if he believed it, he did it. Okay. It wasn't just theory. He went and locked people up. He was the one that consented to Stephen's stoning. As to the righteousness that is under the law, I was blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. It's hard to really appreciate in those terms what he had. But that culture, he was top of the top. You know, in our culture, top of the top is, you know, billionaire's club. (laughs) You got the money to do whatever you want. You're well respected. Everyone knows your name. Gone to the right school, got the right job. You did it. You've made it. Okay, that was what it was to them. 
I counted all those things as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through the faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him. Man, that's that is the wellspring right there of purpose. That is the wellspring right there. Of contentment. That is the wellspring of security. The closest people in your life can betray you. But if you know him. If you really know him. You're going to leave those interactions still praying for them. Not cursing them. Many times we have relationships with people that compete too closely with our relationship with God. And so we end up becoming offended and bitter. And we don't want to have anything to do with them. And we're not going to let God use us to bring healing or restoration because we don't want it because we love our offense and our right standing. That is not putting Jesus first. That's evidence that you have got competing gods in your life. Competing gods in your life. That that relationship with that person was probably more important to you than God's relationship was. And so you don't have first things first. Things aren't important or in line. In the right line. Okay. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from your faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, this word resurrection here, it's a slightly different variation than just, it's a slightly different variation than just raising from the dead. Because we all know if you put your faith in Christ, This isn't it, right? This mortal is going to put on immortal. This physical body that you see here, it's coming, it's coming back, but it's not coming back like it is. It's coming back like his. There is a renewed creation that's coming. But this word here that he uses, he calls it, it's it's like out resurrection. It's not just the resurrection, it's out resurrection. And, And it's almost as if what he's saying here is what Jesus did. When Jesus took the knee and he went under the water and said, I count my own life as not my own. I'm going to serve a different purpose. God judged it right there that his heart was going to do that thing. And when he says this here, he's like that I might attain to the resurrection. Do you think he was talking about attaining to salvation? I don't think so. He's talking about attaining to a place in this life right now. I really hope you catch this. That you are living as a new creation without the vestige of sin, without the vestige of the old, without the vestige of offense, without the vestige of fear or insecurity and everything that wants to hold you back that says you're not that person that you're created to be. You're not that person that you're created to be. And he's saying, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead, but that resurrection is a little bit different. Let me talk about the Greek here. It's called a rising from the dead. It's a ex anesthesius, okay? A rising up, rising again, but it's different than the other resurrection words in the Greek. It is an out resurrection. In other words, I want to live this life without fear as though I've already been raised. I want to be of present spirit right now, even though I'm not physically raised. I want to live as though I'm raised. Even though I haven't fully left this life, I'm going to count this life as lost and I'm going to be the person he's called me to be. 
You may have come into the kingdom full of insecurity. You may have come into the kingdom full of fear. You may have come into the kingdom with a bunch of people telling you you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't sing and you can't do business and you can't do whatever God has called you to do. Whatever the, It seems like the enemy likes to attack the point where you're called. Yeah. You've got a calling. The enemy's going to camp on the calling and tell you you can't do what you're supposed to do. You ever get excited about something and everybody points it out to you that you're a little too extreme in that area? (laughs) God put a purpose on the inside of you. And the idea is before you get resurrected, to live resurrected. Everybody with me? Before the new creation, don't wait for the new creation. Live like a new creation. Exemplify freedom from fear. Freedom from insecurity. Freedom from offense. What if nobody could hurt you because you love God too much? And because you love God too much, you love them too much. To repay them back hurt for hurt. Does that appeal to anybody? It's going to challenge your love for yourself. It's going to challenge your love for yourself. I feel uncomfortableness. That's <laughs> where real freedom is, though. <clears throat> this culture will tell you that freedom is serving every vice you have, and then it makes you a slave to all those vices. That's not freedom. This culture will tell you to indulge every, you know, you only live once, go do whatever you want. And by doing whatever you want, become, you become a slave to everything. When Peter said this, those that have suffered in the flesh, he said this, those that have suffered in the flesh have ceased from sin. They put themselves on a cross and they killed the part of them that kept them a slave. Don't let the enemy keep things alive that God has killed. With your will, Jesus said, if your hand offend you, cut it off. Did he mean your little hand? He meant something in here, didn't he? If your eye offend you, gouge it out. Well, we'd we'd all be without eyes and we'd all be without hands. (laughs) But you could be without hands and be without eyes and still be full of lust and still be full of hate. So what are we talking about? We're talking about a heart condition A heart condition. Everybody pat their heart. A heart condition that can walk through this life free. And everything that makes itself a God to you is dead. Except one. I'll end with this one more time. We had a... We had a a midwife and... she, She said a statement to us I'll never forget. She said, Kids that live in security are the most independent because we were worried about kind of coddling our kids. And at the, in the moment it was about co-sleeping, whether or not they could sleep with us in our bed. And you know, you hear all this stuff. Well, you don't want to make them dependent on you. And she said, security breeds independence when they know they're okay with mom and dad. Nothing else matters. And man, that's true. A little too independent sometimes. I'm <laughs> dial it back. You know? <laughs> and see, that's true with God too. When you fear nothing but God, you're free. But if your relationship with God is non-existent, you've got a lot to fear. There's a lot of things that can take you lunch. Everybody get something out of this? Natalie, would you come just do some background keys? It's five till noon. If anybody is free, or if anybody feels like they must go right now, we're going to formally dismiss after I pray. But I do feel a... 
I do feel a general call to lay some things down and pick some things up. Laying down things that will beset and hinder your walk, sin, and picking things up that you have been disparaged about or uh, disenfranchised about, maybe things God has told you you're going to do. And for whatever reason, you don't believe it anymore or you you just lacked the diligence to to forge something new. This is this is can be smaller than grand things. It can be habits that will hurt you in the long run. And you didn't count the cost. Like you, you didn't count the cost, so now's the time to count the cost. Like if you're going to set a goal to run a marathon, you you better count the cost before you get there. <laughs> You figured out what the cost was. We should have been doing this six months ago. (laughs) And there's things in your life like that. God says, lay this down because it's going to, it's going to be a sin. It's going to be, it's going to beset you. I've got things for you to do that you can't take this with you. And so there is a call to set things down and pick things up. Everybody know what I'm talking about. So we're going to pray and believe we receive that. And then if anybody wants prayer and agreement with with this in particular or, or anything else, we're going to have a little bit of time for a prayer line up here. I do feel a, a zeroing in on a fence. And maybe it's not a small one. Maybe it's like it's an unforgivable, unforgivable. It lives in your head rent free. We're not asking. We're not asking you to justify it. We're not telling you it was okay. There's a lot of terrible evil in this world. God wants to do is set you free from it so that you can walk unencumbered that no one else has control over you. That's really what God's about. God just doesn't want stuff to bother you. He's a good dad. If I see a thorn in my kid's finger, I really hope they let me take it out. Sometimes they don't. But man, sometimes we go through life and people give us these huge thorns and we get so upset and we get so angry and then we defend our feelings when really what we need is that thorn removed. We cover it up with all kinds of other substitutes and you just need to breathe in God's grace a bit. If that's you, I'm asking you to, you don't have to get rid of it all at once. You don't have to eat the whole pizza right now. Just take a bite and let God work on your heart. Let him approach it. Let him approach it. Because it doesn't get better with time. It just changes who you are. Father, we release those things right now by your grace. I rebuke the devourer from off of our hearts and our minds. I rebuke offenses. And I rebuke the things that want to come in and steal peace and joy and love and happiness and contentment and freedom. And I thank you for a deeper freedom in the hearts of your people that isn't based in circumstances and everything going my way. And people smiling at me the right way, but it's based in a relationship with you. Father, I thank you for freedom to fall right now and your grace to knock on the door of every heart. To receive freely from your table which you provided free by grace through Jesus Christ. We receive it in Jesus' name. Let's say that right now. I receive today's grace for today's problems. I let go of unforgiveness.
of resentment. I lay every fear at your feet. And I lift you up. Way up. Way above every fear of mine. You're my God. Not my fears. I release them. I surrender every vice, every bondage, small and big, that would steal my time, steal my purpose, sap my joy, make me, uh, hold on, make me complacent. I want to be on fire. I want to be fervent, full of zeal, full of good works. I want everybody to look at me and see you. Father, we just thank you that your grace right now follows every heartfelt prayer that's received in that in Jesus name. And I thank you that you are even now touching people's hearts and minds and renewing the call. Don't be deceived into thinking these are just thoughts that come and go. Right now, the things that are knocking on the door of your heart, the Holy Spirit is saying, I'm asking you for growth here. If it's just a feeling, write it down. Put pen to paper. Make it solid because he's talking to you. He's talking to you. He's telling you. You know this thing. That it besets you. It encumbers you. I want you free from it. And the little bit of pain. Is going to yield a lot of fruit. A lot of growth. A great life. Go ahead and knock your knees together in fear for a little bit. Because you're going to have tremendous joy and you're not going to be the same person. Amen. Father, I thank you. I thank you for those words that are coming alive right now. And they won't leave them as just little wisps and vague things, but they will take them as a knock on the door of their conscience that you're speaking to them, speaking to them, speaking to them what to do. Jesus name. What those things are, make a plan. If you wrote something down or if you're going to write something down, after whatever it was that God said, I want you to write in big, bold letters with an exclamation mark, plan. Make a plan for it. Otherwise, we'll have this message again in a year. <laughs> Amen.